Treasures in Heaven, in the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor IJ. Hi, Metro. Um, it's good to see everyone. Um, as Pastor Peter said, we are on the Sermon on the Mount series, and um, I kind of want to give my, little, um, my own little spin on the Sermon on the Mount um, with something like this. You have heard it said, money cannot buy happiness. But I tell you, being broke doesn't either. <laughs> I used to hate that saying, money can't buy happiness. Um, I used to hate that because whether rich or poor, life is full of suffering. I think we can all agree to that. You know, I would tell people whenever they say money can't buy happiness, I'd say, I'd rather cry in a BMW than on a bicycle. Uh, better yet, I would rather cry in a Tesla because that thing will drive you straight home and you could sob with both hands. Um, I mean, that's, you know, right? Money can't buy happiness. I'm like, what? Um, however, as I became more seasoned in life, I became more and more um, uh, understanding about the truth and wisdom that the statement brings. And I especially see the truth and wisdom, uh, money can't buy happiness, in this new Netflix series called Bling Empire. Do we have that up there? Um, yeah, Bling Empire. So if you don't know what Bling Empire is, good. Um, it's uh, probably best you don't. But uh, what Bling Empire is, it's a reality TV show about some of LA's most rich Asians um, and how they live their lives day to day. Um, some of them live for drama. Some of them live for love. Some of them live for money, family. Some of them even live for betrayal um, and success and even more drama. But regardless of where they stand on the rich spectrum, and how different their personalities or lifestyles may be, they all have something in common. They all have something or someone they live for. They all have a master over their lives. And although the cast, to the cast, it's not obvious, to the viewers of this show, it's pretty obvious. They're really unhappy and really unhealthy. I mean, could you imagine you live your life thinking about how to beat someone and, and dominate them and to show off and how great you are? And thinking about who's going to backstab you, it's real sad. And I thought to myself, wow, money cannot buy happiness. Money is master over their lives. And even with a huge sum of money, they're still not happy. But then the second thought I thought was, man, I wish they knew of Jesus who brings so much more. I can't bring the gospel message to them, but I can and I want to bring the gospel message to all of you. The question is not whether we have a master or not, but the question we should be asking is, who is the master of my life? And I think for many Christians, that answer is very obvious. Um, His name starts with a J and rhymes with Isa. Somebody say it. Thank you. Wow, Jesus. But many times, although the answer is so obvious, we fall short on what this requires and why. So in today's passage from Matthew, we're going to unpack the answer, Jesus is the master of my life, but specifically, what does this mean, and why do we have to do what we do? So please turn with me to Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. I'm going to read from the NRSV. Yeah, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. This um, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of our Lord. Uh, Let me just quickly pray for us. Uh, God of grace, mercy, and love, um, thank you for your word. It's an honor and privilege to not only preach your word, but to listen to your word. Um, God, we know you are revealing yourself to us in this specific time and in this space. Uh, So Lord, help us to go deep into what it means that you are the master of our lives. What does it mean when we say, my Lord and my God? That it's not just empty words, but there's meaning behind it, and there's a reason you are the master of our lives. Thank you, God, and I pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, so I, I know what we just read. It might seem like a mash of wisdom, but they're all working upon one another. So I want to invite us to take apart the text together. So the first portion of this text When we say Jesus is the master of our lives or that Jesus is the master of my life, what that means is you make investments into treasures in heaven. So I'm going to reread it for us. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we confess Jesus is the master of my life, we need to make investments into the kingdom. We need to make investments into the treasures in heaven. And I know what some of you might be thinking, like, this guy's trying to scam me. But if you look at the passage I just read, there's no mention of money. There is no mention of money, but there's a repetition of treasures. We might not all have a lot of money, but we all have someone or something we treasure. We all have something or someone that we are invested and investing towards. So what exactly are these treasures? There's only two options here. The first one is the treasures on earth. Uh, I like to sum it up how treasures on earth, it's about glorifying the self and investing into the self. It's anything and anyone that um, ultimately glorifies yourself by investing purely into yourself, and it's beneficial to yourself. The scary part is, even though I might say that, the scary part about treasures on earth is that they're not inherently evil. They can be actually really great stuff. It could be success, it could be status, it could be security. It could be anything that benefits us the most. For example, it could be things that, um, such as like a great paying job, a stable home life, an Ivy League school, an efficient work ethic. There's so many things about treasures on earth. It's not bad things. It's some of the things you and I have. And it sounds a lot like the American dream. But those are also things that will one day fade. And I want to be clear. When we invest into treasures on earth, it's a short-term investment and you will receive gains. You're going to get something back. But there are also things that will one day fade. If this pandemic taught us anything, it's that nothing lasts forever. We are here today and gone tomorrow. So what makes you think your treasures on earth will be an exception? Treasures in heaven, the second option is treasures in heaven. Unfortunately, the treasures in heaven, as the Bible states, it's anything that neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. And these are things that will never fade. Treasures in heaven is ultimately about glorifying God by investing into others. It's a long-term investment. Listen, this could be really hard and tricky because you don't see the fruits to these treasures. You will not have tangible rewards. You might not even see it in your lifetime. Sometimes these fruits of your labor, someone else is going to reap it. 
And that's so countercultural. It's like, I worked hard for this. Where's my fruits? But treasures in heaven, it's things that the world cannot take away from us. It's a long-term investment. It's real long-term. And I can confidently say that these long-term investments, someone else is going to reap it. Someone else will benefit from it. And it's something that no one could take away. I could confidently say this because I'm a living testimony of not only receiving those investments, but I'm also a testimony of giving it away. For the longest time, I didn't understand this passage. And I actually chose to invest into treasures on earth. It's so tempting to choose treasures on earth and go for the short-term, more tangible rewards. I think all of us can agree with it. For the longest time, what I treasured the most and where I invested most of my time and energy towards it was two things I never had. It was love and security. I was, uh, I'm just going to share a little bit about myself. I was, I was born in South Korea. I came to America when I was one. And, um, you know, right off the bat, when we came to America, my fam- a family member promised um, our immediate family, hey, you know, go buy a car because um, we'll, we'll pay for it. You should buy a car where, like, you and your family could just travel in. I'm not going to say which family member because, you know, they might be watching it from Korea. But um, that's what they said. So that's what we did. They were like, do it. You know, it's my gift to you. So we bought a car, but they never sent the money. So off the bat, just, I mean, think about it. My parents don't know English. They don't know anything. Off the bat, we were $20,000 in debt. And that resulted in my family moving eight different times the first 10 years of my life in six different states. And I know for many of us in Burren County, some of you were born and raised here for generations. But for me, it wasn't the case. I was so unstable. My parents work. Right now, my dad, he's a Korean pastor at a small Korean church. It's like no more than 75 people. My mom, she's a nurse. And I want to make this clear. Our family, we're doing so well. I can't complain about the way we live. Could we do better? I mean, sure. But, like, I don't complain. Like, I'm, I'm really happy, and we are happy where we're at. But, man, what we had to go through to get to where we're at, it sucked. We're not in the trenches anymore. We're not in poverty But, you know, my dad, he had to work two different jobs. It was really embarrassing to know that my dad was a pizza worker, and he didn't own a dry cleaners, but he was just working at one. My mom, she was a babysitter. It was so embarrassing for me. And on top of that, because my my dad, um, he was working at a church, he chose to be at the mercy of the church rather than showing mercy to his own child. I never really got affection from him. Oh man, sorry, my, my, I'm just cracking up. I'm just gonna drink this water real quick. Oh man, I might drink this whole bottle later. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, as I said, like, I didn't really have that at home either. And in addition to that, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I became a U.S. citizen last year. So, for a long time, I was not a U.S. citizen. And it was so embarrassing to, it was so embarrassing to know, to have people know that I was not a U.S. citizen. Like, I mean, you know, kids are kids, and sometimes we're stu- they're stupid. Um, they're precious, but, like, sometimes they're stupid. And, like, what they would say is, like, you're not a citizen. You're an alien. And I'm like, alien? What the heck? You eat kimchi as much as I eat kimchi. Who you call an alien? Like, I was like, what? But it was so embarrassing. So everything about my life, it was so unstable, and I hated it. So you could see why I treasure love and security. It's things I never had. 
till this day, I'm going to be honest, love and security, they're big temptations in my life. I'm so tempted to pursue God so then I can one day obtain that. And I, as, as you heard a little bit of my story, I know a lot of you have a story too. It's tempting to go for the treasures on earth. None of us are really bad people, but we're just broken. But um, luckily, recently, I actually got to sit down with my parents and talk with them. And I know for a lot of you, it's like, what's the big deal with sitting down with your parents and talking to them? It was a big deal to me because we never really talked at the dinner table. We would just eat quietly, but I finally got to talk with them. I, look, I got to look them in the eye. You know, and I asked them, like, you know, mom and dad, if you knew everything we were going to go through, would you have chosen this life? If you knew how much I was hurting, would you have chosen this life? And they said, of course not. I mean, what parent would, right? If you knew your child was going to suffer that much, who the heck would make their child go through all of that? No parent would. But after a long silence and pause, you know, they responded, but knowing now, looking back, even though we went through all of that, we wouldn't change it for the world. It's not because we don't love you. It's because the surpassing joy of knowing and glorifying God, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. Because they chose to invest into us, because they chose to invest into others, because they chose to invest into the treasures in heaven, they realized, and I came to realize, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, nor, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take away these treasures in heaven. If it wasn't for their long-term investment, I may have never come to know Christ and neither would the rest of my family. Um, I don't know if we could put up the picture. There was a picture of my parents and then my grandma in the middle. Um, if we could go back to that. Yeah, so, yeah, that's my dad, that's my mom in the middle. That's my grandma on my dad's side. But she actually wasn't a Christian even after they got married. But then as their, their marriage was a symbol, a sign of God's faithfulness. Man, if my parents were not faithful to God, my grandma would not be saved. And she's such a hardcore believer. If my grandma wasn't saved, my aunt wouldn't have been saved. And these are the treasures in heaven that money cannot buy and no one can ever take away. And also because they invested and they chose God, I get to invest into others. I get to invest into the treasures in heaven that no one can take away. Um, and I get to do that by investing into the next generation. So there's this book called Sticky Faith, um, and it was written in two, uh, 2011. But it's a team of youth workers. They did an extensive research about what keeps people in the faith, not in their young years, not in their prideful years, but well into their adult years. What keeps them faithful to God? And the common thread is that they had a minimum five adults invest into them within their youth and teenage years. I get to be one of those five. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And the, I mean, just being real with y'all, like some of these kids, they don't care about what I say right now. <laughs> they don't care about what I do. 
But not now, even though I don't get a thank you, I, I don't get a I love you, I don't get these, I don't get to reap the benefits. I know down the line when they're in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, well into their adult years, that they'll have a spiritual foundation because I got to be one of those people. That's the kind of investment I'm talking about. So what does it mean to confess Jesus is the master of my life? It means we make long-term investments into others, even if we don't benefit from it. I want to make this clear. Not everyone's called to be a pastor, and thank God. <laughs> thank God. Like, uh, if we were all pastors, I was like, eh, I don't know, man. But um, anyways, but whatever you do in life, make it a long-term investment by investing into others. It means making choices, especially if you don't benefit from it. Why do we do it? Because Matthew 13, it's not up there, but I'm going to quickly read it for us, is that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. A lot of times we read that passage and we think that's us. It's not. The man that sold everything in his joy, it was Jesus. Jesus was that someone that sold all that he had. And that hidden treasure is you and it's me. That's why we invest into treasures in heaven, because Christ saw us as his precious treasure. And I think something specific we can do in Metro is to invest into our children. Starting June 6th, we're going to have our student ministries launch the first service. We're not going to do it right away. It's going to be slowly, once a month, twice a month, you know, because we're dealing with the pandemic. But I want to invite you all, invest into our children. There's so many ways you can invest into them. And I'm going to warn you, it is not the sexiest ministry. You're not going to get a lot of rewards and highlights and joys, but you are going to invest into our children for the long run. And in addition to that, if children is not your thing, which I totally understand, you should mentor and disciple one person in this church before the end of 2021. That's not a requirement as a metro partner or a member. That's a requirement as a follower of Jesus. Don't ask the church for a program. Don't go to Pastor Peter and ask him, what did you use? Why don't you go to God? Jesus did not have a program to disciple people. He just did it. The Bible doesn't talk about storing treasures perfectly. It just says to store up treasures in heaven. Don't let passivity and fear stop you from investing into treasures in heaven. Stop thinking about the last step. Take the first one. The second portion of this text, what it means if we say Jesus is the master of my life, it means to be intentional. I'm going to read verse 22 to 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? When a lot of people read this, we immediately think that the eye is about perception. That's not wrong. But for this text, this specific context, the eye is not a channel to, re- to um, get light within you, but it's a channel to release light from within you. It's not about the light outside of you, but it's about the light within you. Metro, if we are a Bible-believing Christian church, if we profess Jesus to be the master of our lives, and I know you are, you need to project, be intentional about projecting Christ to the world, not yourselves. A lot of us, we want to justify our successes, our statuses, our security, and I get that. You worked hard for everything that you did and everything that you are. 
But that's not what God calls us to do. Even in our most sacred places, the, the success, status, and security, those are the three most common prayer requests we hear. God, help me to get a promotion. God, help my child to go into an Ivy League school. God, help me to make sure I secure my house. God, I pray for X amount of children because that's what it means to be successful. Those aren't bad things, and I, I wish you have it. But here's a quote to digest. The brightest lights cast the darkest shadows. Rarely do we hear about these prayer requests to obtain these things to glorify God. But if we're being honest, we want these things. We talk about these things. We project ourselves in these things, not God. We've got to be intentional projecting, projecting Jesus, not ourselves. And a, an example of this is uh, my friend Tanya and her family. Um, is it up there? Oh, I guess it's going to be up there later. But, yeah, I, I want to talk about my, fam, uh, my friend Tanya. Um, so my friend Tanya, man, when I think about projecting Christ into the world, I immediately think about their family. I think about them because wherever they go, whomever they meet, it is undeniable they are Jesus' people. And personally, I got to experience this. So recently in April, I traveled to the Pacific Northwest with my best friend. Um, and Tanya lives in Oregon. So I was like, hey, you know, let's, uh, let's meet up. And um, I'd love to catch up in life with you. And she was like, yeah, of course. You know, we haven't seen each other in like five years. And immediately she was like, oh, IJ, by the way, you know, I know housing is expensive. Do you need a place to stay? Our parent, my family would love to house you. I'm like, we're in a pandemic. <laughs> like, what? You know, like, I'm touched. Like, well, like, we're in a pandemic. Are you sure? And she's like, yeah, you know, like, Jesus called me to love. And, like, of course, I want to love you and show you hospitality. I did not take that offer, not because I didn't trust her, but it's because she never met my best friend. It's kind of rude for me to, I don't know, I just felt like that was so rude. But she was so insistent. I'm like, no, thank you so much. I promise I'll take that offer when it's, like, just me or, like, some, or, like my family. But, yeah, I mean, like, she was so adamant and so intentional. And her reasoning, it was not because, like, she wants to be a good person. It's because, well, Jesus told me to be hospitable. Hos yeah, hospitable. So I want to show that to you. Her mom, Irina, if you want, yeah, if we could go back to that picture. Um, yeah, she's the one with the um, beautiful lady with the yellow dress. Wow, godly, godly woman. She works as a translator for multiple companies. And what she, um, she had the privilege and honor to be connected to a hospital. So what she does is that she gets to translate for a lot of patients, um, you know, and especially during COVID time, you really can't visit people that often. And sadly, she is the last face that some of these people see. But in that moment, she is not defeated, but she intentionally prays for them. And she intentionally spreads the gospel to dying people. That's what it means to project Jesus, not you. And lastly, that family, what they do, they are so intentional about making every family decision, but praying as a family. I know for many families, it's easy for the dad to make a decision, for the mom to make a decision, or just the parents to make a decision. But in every single family decision, they pray together because they want to make sure that this is God's will and this is God's heart for the family. One recent thing is that they decided to move from Oregon. And like, you know, they're actually deciding where do we move to? And when people ask, why would you move? Their family is there. 
Their church is there. Their jobs are there. There's no good reason for them to move. But when they say, when they answer uh, people who ask, why, why are you deciding to move? They say, because God is leading us to. We don't know where. We don't know why. But God's just leading all of us to. And he affirmed it with each and every one of us. That's what it means to be intentional. So what does it mean to confess Jesus the master? You've got to project Jesus in all seasons, in every situation of our lives. It doesn't matter where you're at, what job you have. And yes, success, status, security, those are good things. And I want you to have it. God wants you to have it. But you better project Christ and not yourself through it. And why do we do it? Because 1 Peter 2, 9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of whom, of him whom you, whom called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's because we are God's children, we project God. It's not so we can become it. And I know you and I, we are God's people. So can we please project God, not ourselves? And lastly, we are almost there, church. Lastly, um, our, um, this is the last point. I think it's the most simple, but it's the most important. It's about growing in integrity. If we believe Jesus is a master of my life, we need to grow in integrity. I'm going to read verse 24 for us. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I really wish I didn't have this passage to preach on. I really wish Pastor Shirley had it. <laughs> because at least if she, you know, like, I feel like I'm just coming off as the D-bag of the pastoral staff. Like, I really wish Pastor Shirley did it because she would have a smile on her face and everyone would receive it well. But there's no way for me to weave around this text. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and another master. You cannot serve two masters. This is about integrity. And I want to make this clear. Integrity is not about being a good person or morally right. That's a part of it. But if you look at biblical integrity all throughout the Bible, it's a, all these people that God uses, they're broken. But the one thing that they have in common is that they are wholly committed to a holy God. That's Integrity. And if you don't hold on and grow in integrity, you will lose it and you will grow in sin. We must grow in integrity. Uh, I just want to give an illustration. So right here, this is a dollar bill. Unfortunately, I could not get a hundred dollar bill because I'm broke. But anyways, <laughs> it's all good. You know, in Jesus' name, I uh, glorify him with this dollar bill. But so this dollar bill, it's small and it has value. There's a lot of useful things for this. I mean, sooner or later, we might change the Bitcoin, but whatever, you know, cryptocurrency. But Right now, we're on this dollar bill. The world runs on this. But suddenly, if I rip this in half, it doesn't become 50 cents. All right? Trust me, I tried. When I was younger, I was like, hmm, you know? So I don't have quarters. So I was like, hmm. So I just like ripped it. I was like, no, it doesn't become 50 cents. You know what it becomes? It becomes nothing. Even if you ripped a piece of this off, it doesn't become 90 cents. It becomes nothing. When we try to serve two masters, we become nothing. We can definitely serve God with money, status, success, security, your most treasured things. But you cannot serve both. 
I want to make this clear. Like I said, church, you don't have to do it perfectly. Even if I crumble this dollar bill, it's still a dollar bill. There's value. But don't rip yourselves. Don't split your integrity and serve two masters. You can only serve one. And I know for many of us, this is really hard to digest. To be honest, this is still hard for me to digest. This sermon, prepping the sermon, it was so hurtful. It was hurtful because as I shared before with many of you, my greatest temptation, my treasure, it's not God, it's at times, it's not Jesus at times. If I'm being really honest, it was love and security because I never had it. And I shared with some of you, my childhood was so unstable. Who wouldn't want what I have? If, if you never had it, don't you want it? And even if you have it, you want more of it. But after that experience, you know, I was at a place where I was like, God, I don't want to be a pastor and I never want to be a father. Because my childhood sucked. And quite frankly, I just don't want to turn into a monster. I don't want to hurt the people I love the most. But in a turn of events, you know, God changed my life and uh, lo and behold, I'm a pastor. And I surrendered my career to God. I was like, okay, fine, you could have that. But you can't have control of me being a dad. I don't want to be a dad. But in 2019, 2020, I had the privilege and honor to live with Pastor Peter and his family for seven months. And I couldn't believe what I experienced and saw uh, because for the first time in my life, I witnessed a man of love. For, For the first time in my life, I got to see a great husband, someone who was a great father and a great pastor all at the same time. I know for many of you, this is maybe a given and maybe it's, you see it in people, but I, n- I never saw that. I never saw that. And I got to see a man who not only failed, but he failed forward. And he chose to learn to love no matter what. For the first time, I actually believed, you know, maybe I could be a dad. I could do this. And I told myself, I really want a family. I really want love and security. And I'm going to make this dream a reality. So I was so confident I could get this. I mean, if Pastor Peter has it, why can't I have it? Why can't I? Right? So it was my dream. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to surpass Peter on. (laughs) I'm going to surpass Peter on. I'm like... Man, like what, like an 800, 900 people at church? No big deal. Like, oh, yeah, I got this. He's about to write a book. I'll write four and whatever. Like, it's, like, it's like I got this in the bag. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have an amazing spouse. I'm going to have three children and a pit bull too. And um, I'm going to have all of that at the West Coast. So I just went up to him, you know. Because I, I, I get to have sunshine. I get to have sunshine. Yeah, you don't get that, Pastor Peter. But... You know, I was like, I'm so confident, right? You could see, like, these are good things. And all of you, when I was like, I could be a dad, it's like, yeah, you can. These are good things. But I started twisting it because those good things became my master. And I prayed to God. I was like, God, it was not a plead or a request. I was like, God, could I have these things? I was like, God, I'm going to have it. God, I'm going to, you know, have what he has. 
I'm going to have a beautiful wife. I'm going to have a beautiful family. I'm going to have three children, specifically three girls and a pit bull. I'm going to move to the West Coast. I'm going to have sunshine. I'm going to walk. I'm going to run down Malibu Beach with three kids, one on my back, two on the stroller with a pit bull on the side. I'm going to do that twice a week. I'm going to run shirtless with my weighted vest and, you know, live the life. That's my American dream. You can't judge me. I don't judge you for your white picket fence. But, you know, like, I'm like, this is my dream. And then on top of that, you know, me and my spouse, we're going to listen to baby making music once a week. Just once a week. Is that too much? Is that too much to ask? So the married couples are like, oh, man, this guy's in for a reckoning. But, you know, I'm like so honed in on this. This is my dream. This is my master. When I prayed that, God was, he didn't give me a yes or a no, but he just was like, you know, Ajay, who's your master? And I wept because I knew it wasn't Jesus. I knew in my heart, I knew in my prayer that security was a master of my life. I knew that God, the Christian faith, being a pastor, even the people I ministered to, that was all a means to an end. So once again, I understand many of you who wouldn't want to invest into immediate gains and treasures on earth. It's tangible. Why not project ourselves to the world? You earned it. And what's so bad about this diversifying our attention, our time, our efforts? I mean, if Jesus doesn't work out, something else will. But what it means to confess Jesus is the master of my life, it means we are wholly committed to a holy God. Jesus cannot be less than first in our lives. And why do we do it? Because the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, because that's the kind of God we worship. So I want to encourage you all. As I repented, I hope you can all, we can all repent. And that we'll understand it's not about Pastor Peter or some great Christian. It's about the God behind them. It's about the God that is the master over their lives. It's the gracious God, the merciful king, and the lover of our soul. At this time, I want to invite all of us into a time of repentance. I want to lead our church into a time of repentance. I'm going to talk about some next, uh, tangible next steps. We're going to get there. And I think this is an ongoing conversation for all of you because there's a different master over your lives. But right now, I want to lead our church in the first step by leading us into a communal prayer of repentance. So I want um, if you could all just please stand with me and let's pray together. Let's come before God in a communal posture of repentance. Let's pray, church. First church, I just want to invite us, ready your hearts, our hearts. And we come, can we come before God and just confess the things, the treasures on earth that we've been actually investing towards? You don't have to be ashamed, but you got to be honest. A lot of times we aren't investing into the treasures in heaven. We're investing onto treasures on earth, tangible rewards, things that benefit us, short-term gains. It's understandable, but it is not justifiable. So church, can we just come before God and confess that 
What are the treasures on earth that we've been investing in toward? next thing I really desire and God desires for us to repent of what have we been projecting to the world some of us this whole COVID mask thing it's nothing new we've been wearing a mask for the most of our lives we've been projecting a facade to the world we've been projecting some fake greatness But can we come before God, a gracious God, and repent of how we've been projecting everything and anything but God to the world? We've been so intentional about showing off of our assets rather than our awesome God. And lastly, can we please come before God and repent of how we have not been wholly committed? Our attentions, our efforts, our loyalty, it's been split. closes in prayer. God of grace, mercy, and love. Lord God, we come before you in a communal repentance, God. We come before you specifically as Metro Church. God, a sin of our church I want to call out is doing good deeds. Our church, God, we're so good at pursuing justice at times. We're so good at exemplifying your good deeds. But God, forgive us because sometimes we let these good deeds replace the good God. Sometimes, God, our church, we give ourselves a pat on the back on how great we are in talking about conversations. God, forgive us for putting ourselves first before you. But Lord, we are not the masters of our own lives. You are the master of our life. You are our Lord and our God. And God, in repentance, we don't just turn away from these bad things, but we run towards you, the gracious God, the merciful King, and the lover of our soul. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray in your son's name, amen. I want to take us uh, into our next steps. You know, I want to invite us if this is your first time, you know, to say I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And maybe for some of you, you've already committed your life to Christ, but can you make that continual commitment? Some of us, we've been really not committing to Christ because we thought it was a one and done thing, but it's a continual pursuit for, after God. The next, next step is 
say, I commit to register for the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, which starts on May 30th. And I know for some of you, it's like, wait, doesn't this go against everything you preach? I thought you said not to invest in myself. I said not to glorify yourself. But investing into yourself by taking care of your emotional health, that's the selfless thing you could do. Because by being emotionally healthy, you are blessing those around you. The next one is, I commit to joining a metro ministry. Listen, student ministries and setup team and breakdown team, three most unsexiest ministries. I promise you, some days when I set up the church, I, like, I have to go back home and change because I'm sweating. But, you know, I want to invite you. Join a ministry. Do something that people will never recognize you for. By doing that, you're going to understand the heart of God. And for those of you that are standing here, this could not have happened without our setup team. This could not have happened without our break, uh, breakdown team. And for a lot of you, some of you at home, you're worshiping from home because you don't have our student ministries team. You understand the importance. And I want to invite you to join that. The next one is, I commit to reading or audibly listening to the Bible daily. I know this is so simple and some of you are like, man, I got to read the Bible? Of course. Man, if you worship God and you say Jesus is my master, why would you not want his word? You can't have God, the lover of your soul, but not love his word. The next one is, I will attend a call for Covenantal Solidarity event later today. You want to talk about projecting Christ to the world? You attend this. You make a public statement. Your faith is always personal. It's never private. It is always public. People should know you love Jesus. And the last one, I will make 12 individually wrapped desserts for our homeless neighbors to be delivered to the church office on Saturday, May 29th. I think that's one of the best ways to show love and to show faithfulness and commitment, not only to God, to others. So I want to invite you all to that.